0: Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com.
1: Good morning. So great to see you all here today. We are excited to uh, be kicking off worship this morning. I just have a couple of instructions for folks who are watching online today. Of course, you can see here we've been doing some construction, and we're getting ready for our new audio and video uh, being installed next week. And so um, I have to say... Great things about the team, our tech team, and several other men have, uh, and the tech team is men and women, but a couple of men have also been working on this, so we've put in probably close to 80 or 80 plus hours this week of volunteer time that our folks have help get those things ready for next week. So, But our folks online, they're not going to be able to see lyrics today, so I've asked our host to put songs there in the chat for them to be able to follow along. They can look for lyrics there, and uh, sermon notes are going to be also available there online for the online platform. But uh, if you guys will bear with us, we're going to try to get those things fixed as we are progressing forward with this, but we're so thankful for the men and women who put in their time to help us with this and to get it to where um, we can make things better for you guys here in person, those who are viewing online. And so we're praising God for that and looking forward to what these next couple of weeks uh, are going to have for us and moving forward as we do that. So we're going to stand together as we worship God, thanking him for his amazing grace and the love that he has for us. So let's worship You came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us. By your grace, we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You call me out of the grave.
2: You call me into the light. You call my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Feel the darkness shaking. All the dead are coming back to life. Back to life, hear the song awaken. All creation singing, We're alive, cause you're alive. You call me out of the grave, you call me into the light. You call my name, and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger your love awakens 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 me your love is greater your love is stronger your love awakens 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 me and what a love we found death can't hold us down we shout it out we're alive cause you're alive and what a love we found death can't down, we shout it out. We're alive because you're alive, and what a love we found. Death can hold us down. We shout it out. We're So
1: That's right. You can worship him. Give him my hand. It's the Lord you're applauding. Go ahead and have a seat. It's so great. Again, uh, like I said earlier, to see you all, welcome to Peckway Church, and I'm so glad that you chose to spend uh, your weekend here with us. My name is Scott. I'm the worship pastor, and uh, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here and worshiping with you each and every Sunday morning. Here at Peckway Church, we love connecting people with God and one another, and so it's always our hope that uh, that's what you experience here and each Sunday as you worship together with us. And if you're a first-time guest, we would love to connect with you. Uh, That's whether you're online or in person. And every week, we ask everyone here to fill out a connection card, and it's just a great way for us to be able to provide you with resources and to pray with you about any needs that you might be having uh, so, you know, there are a couple of different ways that you can do that here today. You can uh, fill out the green connection card that is found inside Whoops, that bulletin that went flying across the room there. So, but, uh, you know, if in person you can fill out that green connection card and there's a box at the back of the room that you can drop that in there as you exit this morning. Um, and then for those of you who are viewing online, there's going to be a connect link in the chat window and you can fill out that connection card that way as well. Uh, But if you are a first time guest, whether you're here in person or online, you can also just take out your phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. And so in doing so, we hope to provide you with uh, important information about Peckway Church and give you a personal line of communication with us and uh, and then everything that you need to find out if Peckway Church is a good fit for you and your family. So by texting or filling out that card, we will be able to stay in touch. We will be able to reach out and say hi to you and say thank you for visiting with us today. Also, if you have any questions, you can always stop by the Welcome Center out in the lobby on your way out, and uh, um, we have people out there who would love to chat with you, and we also have a free book, a free gift for you who are a first-time guest. So uh, today, as we continue in the series, uh, the book of James, we're going to be talking about authentic faith, and so how can we have authentic faith? And it's going to be about applying and living out the principles that we find uh, in God's Word, the Bible. So, you know, how many of us have one of these at home? I don't want to blind you, but you have one of these, right? So online there you can see as well. But all of us have a mirror, right? So today, um, you know, well, first I'm going to give you some statistics. There's a 2014 study. I know that's kind of a long time ago. Maybe there's a more recent, but that's all I could find. But did you know? You're going to be shocked, men that on average men spend 56 minutes looking at themselves in a the mirror, and ladies, you spend 43 and a half minutes, so I'll let you go out and you can look up all that research there, but you know, so h- how much time do we spend uh, looking at ourselves in the mirror, you know, you might you might go in the mirror, and if you've eaten broccoli, right, you want to go look and check out and make sure there's no broccoli in your teeth, you know, so, but, uh, But yeah, so we we look at ourselves in the mirror, and so the Bible is also like a mirror, and uh, so that's where we get the knowledge and the way of living, and so, you know, but I think of other places that we often spend our time. We might spend our time, you know, on, uh, on this, right, on our iPads or our phone or our laptops or our computers, and we're looking at social media, you know, so how much time are we spending on social media what is influencing us what where are we getting our values and uh, you know are we basing them on the things that we read maybe even in the newspaper or social media or the news or are we looking into God's word and basing our lives off of biblical values and so James one twenty-three through 24 says this um, that when we only listen to God's word but then we don't apply it it's like looking into this mirror here right And then we walk away and we forget about what we look like. So um, and so this this morning, I want to challenge each of us to examine where we are today and what is influencing us. You know, are we checking ourselves against social media, what our friends are doing, you know, what we see other people doing or are we basing it off of God's word? Because if we start looking at the world to to get our values, it's sort of like looking at ourselves in the mirror and then forgetting walking away. And we have broccoli because we're getting all of this negative things or things that maybe are not necessarily based on God's word uh, to to be able to influence how we're living our lives. So I want us to look to God's word as we move in the direction of serving one another in love and loving the world like God loves. And so I want us to believe God and to trust in his power to help us to be men and women who live like Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to stand together with me again as we sing a song about that. next song. We just sang about believing for the things that we want to see God move in our life. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to see God. And we want to see those things. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. Think about maybe family members, maybe your own personal life. It could be relationships that are broken or that are hurting or addictions. Whatever it is, Can we, in faith, believe that God can truly change those things? So just take a moment to whisper to Him, Lord, I need you.
2: Lord, I come, I come.
1: Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you.
2: Deep. Your grace is for is found is where you are And where you are Lord I am free holy is Christ. In me. song to rise to you, when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, up will fall on you, Jesus, you're my hope and say
1: day and every day and every moment. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light unto our path, a lamp to our feet, and that it guides us, Father. You tell us not to look to the left or to the right, but to look to you and to follow after you. And so, Lord, as we've sang these songs today, as we've been reminded of the sacrifice that you made for us, and God, the way that you made for us, we, uh, we praise you for that today. So, uh, Lord, I pray you to open our hearts, open our ears, our minds to hear your word, to see, Father, how we're tested, um, Lord, and how uh, we're challenged. Uh, but, Lord, also uh, what the solution is. And so we pray and ask that, uh, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. And we pray and this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
0: Well, good morning, and I, with along with Pastor Scott, just want to say to the tech team, especially the worship team, and everyone else, I know there are others besides that that were here this week working on various projects to try to get us to the place where we have new technology, which continually changes. I just want to say thank you. But uh, today, as Scott has been saying, we want to look at this issue of authentic faith. And here's how I want to get into it this morning, because I know, just like myself, something that's very, very valuable to you, important to you, is this idea of authenticity. And when I mean, say, authenticity, what I really mean is that we value people who are real, right? We value people who possess no significant or consistent breakdowns between what they say and what they do. We appreciate and respect people who possess no significant breakdown between who they appear to be and who we find out they actually are. And, and even with that said, that if those individuals possess inconsistencies, and the reality is all of us, to one degree or another, possess some inconsistencies in our lives, then that person can still be considered by us and by themselves authentic If they own the inconsistency and they work on the inconsistency, they endeavor to try to eliminate it from their lives. So we really can call someone authentic who says, you know what, I'm not perfect. There's things I'm working on. There's gaps in my, if you will, my authenticity, but I'm working on it. And I say that because, again, I know for you and know for me that authenticity is one of the things we highly highly valued, which is also why when we see someone or sense that there's a lack of authenticity in someone's life, and perhaps, and I hope in our own life, that it bothers us. In In fact, it ought to bother us greatly. And for that reason, James here in the very beginning of his letter takes and really tries to drive home this idea to those first Christian readers, to those very first Christian followers, Jewish Christian followers of his brother Jesus, He says, guys, gals, you need to have authentic faith. And so what we're going to see today, what we're going to look at here in just a moment is James is going to lay that out for us. What it looks like in tangible, practical ways. What does it look like to have authentic faith? And so let's just pick up where we left off last week. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. And if not, follow along. But James chapter 1, beginning with verse 19, let's look at what James writes. For here's what he says he says understand this my brothers and sisters my dear brothers and sisters you must all be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires so here's the thing right out of the gate James gives us a test for authenticity for authentic faith and here's what it is if you didn't pick it up he said here's the test we have to be quick to listen we have to be slow to speak we have to be slow to become angry. Now, having said that, here's what I'm going to guess. That most of us, if not all of us, if we were given the responsibility to come up with a test for authentic faith, probably none of us would have given us that test. And what I mean by that, most of us, probably what we would have given, what we would have come up with is a checklist test. In other words, what we would have come up with something like this. Did you pray today? Did you go to church today? Did you read your Bible today? You know, did you brush your teeth today? I mean, we we come up with a checklist of, did you do those things? But that's not James. See, James doesn't give us, have you done this sort of thing checklist? Instead, he gives us, have you been this sort of thing checklist? He gives us a test, and for that reason, he goes to our personal interactions, our relationships. And he asks us, are those interactions with others marked by active listening? Are they characterized by verbal restraint? Are your relationships with others characterized by the absence of anger? If so, then well done. If not, James tells us, he's saying here in just a second, then we're not living righteously. In other words, you and I are not living the right way. We're not living the way God wills and desires for you and me to live our lives as followers of his son, Jesus. But here's what I want us to understand, at least for me, and I think for you, you're going to see in a second, that James' test that he gives us is both challenging and indicting. And what I mean by that, folks, is because even as followers of Jesus, it's easy for you and I to fail to tune in to the amount of time we're talking and not really pay attention compared to the amount of time we're listening Even as followers of Jesus, it's easy for us to pray as we go into a a meeting with someone, as we enter into a conversation with someone, as we sit down with them, it's easy for us to pray or fail to pray, God, fill my heart with so much love, fill my heart with so much patience, that my ears are open more and my mouth is open less, so that my heart is, is in that place where anger cannot get a foothold, where resentment cannot begin to grow, it cannot find root. And the reason we struggle in those ways, the reason it's easy for us to fail to do those things is because of our bent. And what I mean by that is this, that our bent, without authentic faith, is for you and I to be slow to listen. It's for you and I to be quick to speak. It's for you and I to be quick to move to anger. And for that reason, when those behaviors begin to manifest themselves or show up in our lives, our tendency, quite honestly, is to defend them rather than reject them. In, in other words, we, we, we can, when those, those behaviors, those attitudes, those actions begin to show up in our life, we can, if we're not careful, begin to justify them. And we tend to justify Melissa. We say, you know what, I, I really don't feel bad about it because my actions, my reaction really isn't about me. It's about you. It's about how you make me feel. It's about what that person did. It's about the fact that I had to wait so long in that line And James just flatly rejects that. He says we cannot buy that when we're talking about authentic faith. Now you may ask, with that said, then why of all things does James single out here for this test speech, listening, and anger? And I'll be honest with you, we need to know and I cannot tell you that James gives us an answer to that question. But I do believe we could begin to maybe find an answer to that question when we really consider his context And we also consider human condition, human character. And here, let me just net it out like this for you. In other words, remember, we looked last week at this letter was written. His context was he was writing to the church. And it wasn't just the church. He was writing to Jewish Christians. And and what was unique about Jewish Christians, and the reason I point that out specifically, is because think about Paul and who he was writing to. The Apostle Paul was writing to Gentile Christians. And for Gentile Christians, what we see in many of Paul's letters, he is writing things about what we call is sins of the flesh, temptations of the flesh, but not so much for James. In fact, his dealing with Jewish people and in their community, that wasn't as prevalent as it was in a Gentile community. So I think part of the reason he grabs those is because those were struggles that were going on among those Jewish Christians. And the reason they're going on leads me to what I think is the second and more significant point that can help us understand why is he picking those. It's because when we consider our human condition, the reality is this, folks, if we're honest. Each and every one of ourselves can fall prey to those very things. Of not listening enough, of talking too much, of too quickly and too easily becoming angry. And the spirit guiding James wants us to understand, folks, that whenever we give in to any of those things, our relationship with him and our relationship with others suffers. And and, and for that reason, folks, what we need to understand, let me just net that out. For in other words, here's what I mean by that. When you and I are slow to listen, what that really means is we are more focused on ourselves than we are the other person. And and folks, when we're quick to speak, you know what, what we're doing? We're not learning. We're literally not learning. I had a professor in seminary, and I'll never forget a counseling professor. He was talking about, as a pastor sitting in that room, in your office, counseling someone, and I'll never forget what Dr. Hamilton said. He said, students, I want you to understand, when you're talking, you're learning nothing, and the other person's learning very little. And and that's the reality, folks, And, and when we are talking, we're not learning. And when we're not learning, folks, that breeds pride, and it destroys empathy, Because the reality is we're not trying to understand the other person's perspective. We're not trying to understand the other person's priorities or concerns. It's simply about us. Some of us are just enamored with the sound of our voice. And as a result, because of those things, James says what happens, and we know it to be true, is we get angry. And we get angry about anything and everything that doesn't go our way. That's why James gives them as a test. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to see there's other reasons, a deeper reason. But here's what I want us to ask at this moment. So what's the solution? I mean, what does James say you and I can do whenever we find ourselves? And we all do at some point being slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry. What do we do? Well, notice where he goes next. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. In other words, here, let me paraphrase it. Here's what I think James is trying to say to us. He's saying, if you want to overcome that bend in your life, just like the bend in my life, to, to be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry, he says you need to do some internal house cleaning. Some internal house cleaning guided by the word of God. Because, folks, the only way that you and I can eliminate from our life those, those attitudes and those actions that absolutely undercut and destroy authentic faith in your life and mine is by adding something to our life that can guide us and ultimately empower us in the process. And James says what that is, that thing, that something, is the Word of God. Now let me just step back there for a second and let's, let's talk about this. And, and I really kind of want to draw this contrast. I want us to understand that there really are two spheres that we live in, that we exist in. And the first one is what I'm going to call our inner world. And your inner world and my inner world, folks, I know about it is this. It represents what we know, what we think, and what we believe. Now, in contrast, our inner world is our outer world. And most of you are already ahead of me, and you go, okay, Jerry, so that probably represents how we act and how we behave. You're right. That's exactly what it does. Here's the reason I share that with you. And you're already ahead of me again. Folks, here's our tendency when it comes to an inner world and outer world. Our tendency is to try to separate the two, isn't it? The reality is we try to separate. In other words, folks, we kind of somehow separate in our minds, knowing from doing, believing from behaving, thinking from acting. And as a result of that, when we find ourselves dealing with an outer world issue like speech control, language control, we, listening to others, when we find ourselves struggling with an outer world issue, what's our temptation? Our temptation, our inclination to say, oh, I know how to solve it. I solve it with an outer world solution. But what we need to understand, what James is telling us is, folks, that doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work, James tells us, is because our outer world is controlled by our inner world. Which means, which means, folks, that outer world issues in your life and my require an inner world cure. I'll say that again for you. What that means is that outer world issues in your life and mind for all of us require to overcome them, to eliminate them from our lives, to reduce them to a place where they honor God. We need inner world cures. Willpower is not enough. Self-discipline is not enough. We need that, if you will, we need a Marie Kondo makeover, okay? We need to tidy things up. And if you don't know who that is, go check out Netflix this afternoon. Google her name. You'll know who I'm talking about. My daughter loves her. But we need to have this extreme cleaning and tidying up of our internal life. That's what we need. And so what James is doing here is he identifies, he, he lifts up, which I think were issues that his Jewish readers were struggling with, listening, speaking in anger, and he says, listen, here's what I want you to understand. A breakdown in any or all of those areas in your life reveals something is wrong on the inside, that something's going on in your inner world and it's simply manifesting itself in your outer world. And that's helpful, folks, but the wonderful thing about God's word, the wonderful thing about the book of James is he said, I'm not just going to point out the problem. I'm going to give you a solution. And so what he does on the tail of that, he offers to his readers and to us a twofold solution. And he begins like this. He says this, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, I want you to underline the word prevalent because that's the key word in this passage, in other words, what James is saying, and Scott mentioned it earlier, is the reality is James is saying to us that moral filth and evil are so much around us that they're almost inescapable, that they truly course through the veins of our culture. But that's not the only thing he's saying about this issue of evil and moral filth being prevalent. He's also saying they're so easy for you and me to take in, absolutely so easy for them to come into our lives, And as Scott pointed out, and again, he was absolutely right. At one point, I'm going to go, Scott, you just preach it. You just take it. But the reality is, folks, here's the reality. That for you and I, in the world that we live today, with the technology that we possess, and I'm so thankful for the technology, that when it comes to moral filth and evil, folks, we are only, in the world today, one click, one swipe, one voice command away from seeing things, reading things, experiencing things, listening things that will totally destroy us internally. And so James says, stop taking those things into your inner world because they're messing up your outer world. Especially, he says, when it comes to how you speak, how you listen, and the anger that manifests itself in your life. And so he says, he uses this phrase, he says, get rid of it, get rid of the moral filth, get rid of all the evil. And again, I want you to underline that phrase, get red. The phrase literally refers to taking off soiled clothes. So you get the image, he's saying when it comes to cleaning up your inner world so that your outer world honors God, is pleasing to God, then you and I need to strip off and discard everything that's unclean in our lives. We need to get rid of it. And so step one in James's two-step process is that, folks, we need to get read and remove the moral filth and the evil from our lives. Whatever that is for you, whatever that is for me. And I'll just say you right up front, I mean, folks, that's more than just simply pornography. That's the low-hanging fruit. We understand that. But if we're reading blogs that make us resentful and angry and bitter toward people, then that's filth to us. If we're, if we're watching things that make us you know, dehumanize other people, think less of other people, have less than love in our heart for them, folks, that's, that's evil for us. That's moral filth for us. We need to avoid it. And so James says, get rid of all of it. Do that Marie Kondo cleaning, tidying it up in your life. But then he gives us a step, second step. He says, it's not enough to remove it. We need to add something to our lives. Take a look at what he says next,, he said, "Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is prevalent, and notice this, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And the word that James has in mind there is the Word of God. In other words, the Bible. The Bible is what James is saying. And, and we can see, just let me digress, let me leave the book of James for a second. We can see why James says that when we listen to what Paul says to a young man, a young leader by the name of Timothy, I put it there in your outline. Listen to what he wrote about this this book, this word, the Bible. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's why James says we need to add it to our lives. But listen, James wants to make it clear for us. He says it's the Bible will not work that way in your life and mine if all we do is read it. For that matter, it's not all that it, it won't work our way in our life if all we do is study it. It won't work that way in our life if all we do is memorize it. Think of the Pharisees. He says, the way that God's Word works in your life is if you humbly accept it. He says, that's the secret. That's the secret to, to bringing the Word of God in And that is to humbly accept it. Now, folks, the opposite of humble acceptance is what? I'd suggest to you it's prideful rejection, right? It's just pridefully rejecting it. And when it comes to God's word, folks, there is a real choice for you and for me between humbly accepting it and pridefully rejecting it. Because prideful rejection of God's word means we know what God says in his word, but we say to ourselves, well, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. Or we know what God says in his word, but we say to ourselves, well, I don't believe that part of it. Or we know what God says in his word, but we say to ourselves, well, you know what? It's outdated. We know more today than they did back then. Or to pridefully reject God's word is for you and I to say to ourselves, okay, it's God's word, but you know what? I'm going to pick and choose what I believe and what I don't believe. Because honestly, we act and we believe that ultimately we are our own final authority. And folks, my point is simply this. Suffice it to say, I hope you sense from all that there are multiple, multiple ways that you and I can come to the Bible with prideful rejection. And what we need to understand about all of those ways is this, that if we come in any of those ways, folks, what we are doing is we're shutting down the work of God in our life. And that's why James says it's not enough to read the Bible. It's not enough to listen to the Bible. It's not enough to study the Bible. It's not enough to memorize the Bible. He says you must humbly accept the Bible. Because when you and I humbly accept the Bible, what we do is we say, I recognize it's the word of God and I will do what God's word says. When we humbly accept the Bible, we say, I know it's the word of God and I'm willing to let it stand over me rather than me standing over it. When we humbly accept God's word, we're saying, you know what? I know it's the word of God, and so I'm willing to let it judge my thoughts and my attitudes rather than my thoughts and attitudes judging it. Bottom line, what we're saying, when we humbly accept God's word, we are saying we're going to come underneath its authority and not the other way around. Now, with that said, let me just give you a quick word, because I know some of you, when I read that verse, got caught up on that phrase where he says, And we humbly accept the word, and it can save us. Because if you're here last week, you heard me say over and over again that James was writing this, and I said it this morning, James is writing this to Jewish Christian believers. And even he began, even if you weren't here, then I'm sure you caught when I began reading, James began this passage by saying, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. And so clearly we see that his writing to Christians So the question we're probably asking is, why in the world does he say it can save them? And for you and I to understand that, we need to understand that in the Bible, there are three distinct dimensions to salvation. Let me just give you a quick theology lesson. There are three dimensions to salvation, and I would say it like this, and I'll explain it a couple different ways, and hopefully one of them, if not both of them, are helpful. But when I say there are three dimensions to salvation, in other words, there is a past dimension... There is a present dimension and there is a future dimension. Theologians say it like this We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And let me just net that out for you. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then you were saved the moment in faith you accepted the grace and the forgiveness and love of God that was made available to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. You have been saved. But that same salvation now, folks, as is, is it grows and it develops and it matures as we are increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus, as that salvation begins to work itself in and through our lives. That's why Paul could write this, as you have already obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, Paul is saying, folks, as we become more and more like Jesus, what is happening is we're increasingly Working out that salvation, working it out of our lives, through our lives, in our lives. Does that make sense? We are working out, not working for, working out our salvation. So we are being presently being saved. But the fulfillment, the culmination of salvation is only when you and I get to heaven and we are fully transformed physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every possible way and welcome into heaven. For then we truly have been saved fully and completely. And so James says to us, and the reason he says what he does is because we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. And what James has in mind right here is that second dimension, that present ongoing work of God in your life and mine, making us ever increasingly more like Jesus, transforming us into his likeness, developing our character to be more and more like his. And for that reason, he says this in verse 22 through 25, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, for you and I to appreciate what james is getting at here we need to understand a little bit about the mirrors of his day we, we need to have a little knowledge about it and because here's what i know and scott shared it earlier in just a second we're going to look at some images but when i say to you look in a mirror what most of us envision what most of us think of is this right and that's what we think of we think of this clear crystal clear glass that we can stand in front of and have this clear reflection of ourselves But that's not at all what the mirrors in James' day were. For mirrors back in James' day were not glass that were, were backed by tin and silver so they could be highly reflective. No, instead, they were made of polished metal, typically bronze or brass, and they tended to look like this. Now, obviously, given that, and if you've ever looked in some polished metal, then the result was the image that was produced was highly fuzzy and highly distorted sort of like this. I mean, I first found that image. I'm going, I'm not quite sure that's a man, that's a woman. But the reality is, and here's the reason I share that and give you that image, for that reason, because those images were not crisp, were not clear, a person had to stare intently into the mirror, spend a lot of time in front of that mirror looking to figure out exactly not only what they saw, but what exactly needed to be fixed, or cleaned up, or changed around to be presentable. Does that make sense? Now, with that said, let's go back and read again what James wrote in verses 23 and 24. He says, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So the person, what James is saying, so the person who looks into God's Word, the perfect mirror, the the complete mirror, the ultimate mirror, but doesn't do what it says. He says, is like the person who spends this long time staring at himself or herself, only to walk away and completely forget what they needed to fix up, what they need to clean up, what they needed to rearrange. And here's the point James is making. It was a waste of time, because nothing changed. Nothing ultimately was accomplished. So what we need to ask is, what do we need to do instead? And James, again, anticipating that pastoral heart, that practical heart, says this. Look at what he writes next in verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has served, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. In other words, what James means is this, folks, when you and I look intently deliberately, continually into the Word of God, and we take away from it everything we possibly can about who we need to be and what we need to do and how we need to live, then James says the ultimate result of that is you and I will live a blessed life. And let me just talk about that for a second, because biblically, when we talk about living a blessed life or being blessed, what that really means is this. It means that you and I experience the incredible, wonderful goodness of God that only God himself can give through his power and his wisdom. And so in shorthand, I would say to you this, a blessed life basically meant this. James was saying a blessed life is a life marked by God's favor, a life marked by God's goodness. And with that thought, James then circles around again, comes full circle, and once again, he stresses the importance of you and I watching our tongue, you and I caring and tending to our inner world because our inner world, as he's already pointed out, ultimately shapes and should shape our outer world. And so he writes this, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and... To keep oneself from being pure, polluted by the world. And so, folks, what James is saying to us is that someone in his estimation, in his spirit empowered estimation, which is an accurate estimation, he says, someone who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry has authentic faith. Because that person has been about the process of ridding themselves of moral filth and humbly accepting God's word. And therefore, they have become doers of the word and not hearers only. And because of that reality is at work in their life, that naturally, pre-reflectively leads them to serve the most needy, the most vulnerable in our world. People not limited to but people like widows and orphans. He just lifts up an illustration And the reason why James says that happens, the reason they do that naturally, pre-reflectively, is because when you and I tend to our inner world, our outer world cannot help but begin to reflect the heart of God toward others. And James says God accepts that faith, or to use his word, that religion, as pure and faultless. So according to James, folks, the Christian faith... First and foremost, is not about us simply embracing a set of doctrines and beliefs, as important as that is. And I've committed the majority of my adult life studying and understanding those beliefs and doctrines. But as important as that is, James is saying that is not first and foremost about what the Christian faith is about. He's saying first and foremost... The Christian faith is about you and I having our inner world transformed by God's Word as it penetrates every fiber of our being. And then, from that place and foundation of personal holiness, we begin to practice social holiness. We begin to practice social holiness by sharing the good news of Jesus and ultimately serving those around us at their point of greatest need. For when we do that, James says, we in fact possess authentic faith. He says that's the test. Well, that's James' challenge for us today. The second installment of his letter He's just getting started, but here's my prayer in light of that challenge, folks. My prayer today is that James' definition of authentic faith will shape your understanding and my understanding. It'll shape your evaluation and my evaluation of whether or not we truly possess an authentic Christian faith. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for James's letter to us through the, the guidance and the power and the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. Father, I know for me, I've lived with this since last Monday, and I know for myself that James didn't pull any punches. But Father, again for myself, I know I didn't want him to. And hope that's at the heart of all of us here today. We don't want him to pull any of his punches because we need to know, we want to know the whole truth about what it is to authentically live the Christian faith in the world today. And James did that brilliantly for us. He explained it completely and totally. And so I pray that we have been open to whatever it is you wanted to say to us personally through what James wrote about authentic faith because we want to leave here today either with a renewed commitment or a first-time commitment, Father, to being doers of the Word and not hearers only, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jerry. As we are walking through this series and learning how to be authentic. And it's at this time each week that we um, continue talking about generosity. And last week we uh, decided that we would ask God what he wants us to do with generosity, with our generosity. And that's a bold uh, question to ask, and it feels potentially risky, right? So, you know, if you were raised in church, you know that what the Bible maybe says about generosity and that you understand that God wants his people to live a generous life and not just check a box and by giving a certain percentage or a certain amount. But, you know, it's really easy to become complacent about our giving. And God included over 2,000 uh, verses in Scripture about money and possessions because how we handle uh, the tangible things of life is meant to be a reflection and an exercise of the relationship we get to have with God by grace through faith. And so with so many verses and so many stories in both the Old and the New Testament, and with a third of Jesus's parables um, focusing on these topics, it's biblical to ask God, you know, for guidance when it comes to our own generosity. And Jesus highlighted God's willingness to be asked all sorts of things, and we find that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so, if God instructs us so thoroughly about generosity all through His Word, we should um, we should ask Him about how we can live a life that pleases Him, and uh, you know what the next step that He has in mind for us. Uh, For us, maybe that's um, to maybe start giving for the first time or to try tithing or to give a sacrificial gift that he has in mind. So, but if you never ask, you'll never know. And so, you know, then you may miss an opportunity to respond to God. So, I hope that you asked that question in anticipation of God and that uh, of responding to your ask, to that request. And so, and if you haven't asked yet, I hope that you will. So, And the reason we're talking about this is because we trust that God has a plan for us and that plan is best. And giving is never about what God wants from us, uh, but it's all about what he wants for us. And so um, before we leave, we're going to pray about that. But I want to give you a couple of ways that you can give today. Here in person, there's envelopes at the back of the room. You can also uh, use texting to give uh, on the website as well. You'll find a link online. There's going to be a give link in the chat window. Uh, you can also click on those three little dashes that are at the top left of your, of your browser there or that, of that uh, online platform, and you'll find a giving link there as well. Um, and then I also want to invite you back next week as we continue this series. Next week, uh, you know, we all have this in- inclination to favor people, right? Especially the Bible's going to talk about the rich man versus the poor man and how the rich uh, man was being catered to while the poor man was kind of getting neglected. And we all kind of have that right in our hearts that we, you know, you see somebody that or whether it's trying, you're trying to get ahead. You're like, oh, I got to talk to that right person in my network or those kind of things. But we want to see what God has to say and the biblical view he has, because he talks about there's no favoritism. So come back next week as we look into God's Word, as we continue James, and we talk about that. But before we leave, let's pray. We'll pray over um, that giving, the generosity uh, piece that we just talked about, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for what we've heard today. God, we pray that you would help us to have faith to ask the bold questions. And the bold question that we're asking uh, this year as we talk about generosity, Lord, help us to step out in faith, to trust you, to believe you with our finances, God, and what it is that you're asking, whether it's the first time that we've ever given, whether it's our giving needs to be reevaluated and what you're asking of us, or if it's a a large gift, whatever it might be, God, help us to grow in our faith and to trust you, Lord, as we take those steps and to, to see, God, how you're going to grow us. Lord, I pray for each of us as we leave, God, that you'd help us to reflect on your word, to be doers, not just hearers only, God. And as we look and think about next week, Father, um, what your word has to say about how we tend to favor people, Lord, and how we need to love others as we love ourselves. And so we thank you for what you're going to do, and we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I look forward to worshiping with you again next week. Have a great week.